Hi, welcome back to the horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are. <laughs> We're back with some more techno horror. We are. And this week, this movie's definitely a doozy. Definitely a doozy. Shay and I started talking about this and then we were like, wait, but we should we should probably start recording to have this conversation just because there's so much to say about it. And I think generally from my own experience and some things I read, there are mixed reviews. Yeah. And I think part of the conversation that we got into right before we started recording this came from the idea that we've covered a couple movies that have this similar format. So if you've listened to our episode on Cam from 2018 or our episode from Host, which is a movie from 2020, we've covered a couple movies that discuss what happens when the supernatural meets the digital age. And I think our conversation in When a Stranger Calls last week made us really curious about okay, we've seen when a movie does it wrong or when a movie has aged past the point of being able to be relatable, what feels relatable and what feels salient to us. So I had brought up Unfriended as an example. So we were like, you know what? Let's talk about Unfriended. Let's do it. And you were asking me what I thought. And generally, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. And there are things that I thought were interesting. But having seen Host, which to this day is still one of the scariest movies I have ever seen, if not the scariest of all the movies that we've covered so far, (laughs) this one just, I think in comparison, because there are so many similarities with that digital Zoom format, just fell a little short in some ways as far as being like genuinely scary goes. But as its own and as sort of the first to have this format in 2014, so a full six years prior to host, I can see how if I saw this, especially in 2014, I would be very fucking scared. Yeah, it is a bit of a trailblazer. And we're going to be talking about the format a lot because this movie is very visual. It's not really one that you can have on in the background and not be looking at the screen the entire time. I pause this movie a lot while taking notes because all of what you are seeing is screen recorded on a desktop or on a laptop, essentially. So you are seeing people opening tabs, closing tabs, switching between tabs, you know, going on Spotify, going on Facebook, going on Messenger. So there are so many little clues hidden throughout about what is to come and what's going to happen that feeds to the rising action that you feel as though you are participating in this movie. You feel as though you're in it and it's something that you've experienced, especially being a high school student. You know, I feel like there's something special about high school friendships where like, You were just up each other's asses 24 fucking seven. I feel like we talked about this in another episode. I don't remember. But the idea that you spent all day at school with people and then you needed to come home and sit on Uvu for hours on end (laughs) or on the phone or in like group chats. You know what I mean? And this encapsulates Mm -hmm. that experience so well and kind of discovers what happens when things go wrong. So something that's also really awesome about the movie, besides the format, is how it was filmed. So this movie was filmed in a series of long takes. So the movie that you are watching is not edited together. It is one long take of these actors just acting the movie out for an hour and 20 minutes straight every single time. Like the movie was shot in 16 days. They didn't like have scenes where they went cut or whatever. They acted this movie out in like two hour increments every single day until they got the one that they wanted. 
all of the webcams were filmed on GoPros. All of the actors were in the same house, just in different rooms of the house. So what you are watching, like as the action unfolds and as the actors' temperaments change and anxieties run high, is all a product of them actually spending that amount of time together in a house, on a screen, behind a computer. And it's wild. As far as that immersive aspect goes, that sounds very much like Blair Witch. Yeah, exactly. How they just sent them out into the woods Mm -hmm. and gave them milk cartons of instructions (laughs) on how to improv these scenes and also waking them up in the middle of the night and not feeding them. Maybe not that much, but... Right. That was a a little bit excessive. Hopefully by the time it was 2014, they had some regulations in place for the sake of the actors. Yes, it does sound like filming this movie over and over again would be really draining. And because of the nature of this movie, that energy coming through, feeling drained and scared and frustrated seems like exactly what you would want, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it does feel organic. Like even down to the way Blair, our main character, I suppose, like clicks things. Like sometimes you can see her go to do something and then realize she has to like move to this part and then move to this part. I really appreciated how, I don't know, something as small as the way she clicks and moves her mouse through the screen worked. Yeah, they all feel like, I wouldn't say necessarily real characters, but the way that real people act, if that makes sense. They do kind of take on stereotypes of typical horror characters and also just like typical characters, stereotypes in general. But of course, in the horror genre, we have like the virgin, the virgin's boyfriend, the fool, which in this movie, I did really like the fool character. He was very funny. It was very hard to see him go. Spoiler. And the horror and the jock, I guess. Yeah. Go back to our Cabin in the Woods episode and we cover them all more in depth. But yeah, all of them are really represented. And so in a way, it's kind of like a slasher. But what would happen if a slasher just happened on Facebook for everyone to see? And the killer is a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) That part too. (laughs) So let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. Unfriended. 2014. We start our movie. We are looking at a computer screen. Somebody is doing some clicking, pulls up a video that reads, warning, Laura Barnes suicide might contain content not suitable for all ages. Clicks continue. We see a video, very troubling. And of course, by the way, trigger warning, suicide, if you haven't noticed that. We see a video of a young woman Somehow she's being filmed and somehow like people are sort of outside of the frame of the camera trying to talk this young woman down, put down the gun, put down the gun. Laura, we find out later her name is, well, I guess in the video we find it out as we hear her name being called. She holds out a gun. She looks so young. And the way that she's holding the gun too, I think makes her look younger. Like she doesn't quite even know how to hold this gun Something about the way that she does it just makes her feel so young and almost out of place in what she's trying to do. Does the video follow through at this point or does it end and then we switch? Essentially, we see her holding the gun out in front of herself and not to be too descriptive, but like the way that Elise is describing it is true. She looks very young because if you were to try to shoot yourself in the Mm -hmm. head you would probably hold the gun up to your temple or to your mouth. You're looking at other movie depictions of it, but she's holding it out in front of her in such a way like she's taking a selfie. And that's something I noted down. That kind of shows her age a little bit, but she does end up pulling the trigger and shooting herself while she's being filmed. 
I feel like it shows how much she thought about this. Like to hold the gun like that feels so quick. Another video is pulled up. Our clicker switches tabs and we see who we can assume to be the young woman before this event, obviously. And she, Laura, is drinking. She's at a party. Perhaps this will be some kind of embarrassing video. We're not sure. Starting to fill in the blanks as to maybe why what happened happened. But then there's a pause. Some fellow named Mitch is calling on video chat. And our main character, Blair, picks up the call. And she begins talking to who is her boyfriend, Mitch. Yeah. And as soon as Mitch calls, she does exit out of all the tabs that have to do with Lars' death. So you can tell that she feels a sense of perhaps embarrassment or reluctance Mm. to share this information with Mitch, especially since the second video, the one of Lars being confrontational at a party, is entitled Lars Barnes Kill Yourself. So obviously, that's right. That was posted with some level of malice or intent. They do some cringy flirting with one another. They have some banter back and forth where (laughs) Blair is like somewhat sexting or is somewhat trying to be a little bit of a tease. And Mitch is with her flannel (laughs) with her flannel. Mitch is holding a knife, which is like weird. You know, he's just trying to be in jest, be like, take the shirt off or I'll cut it off. And then she's saying things like, you're really sexy when you're violent. And I'm like, what the fuck is (laughs) straight people? Are you okay? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. We don't claim them. But essentially through this interaction, we learn that Blair and Mitch have not yet have sex because Blair says, I want prom night to be the night. And Mitch Mm. is very excited. He's very happy. He's like punching the air. Speaking of being into it, not only is he excited, lets out some hoots and hollers, Mitch says, two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? Your boobies. <laughs> Your boobies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quote I wrote down. <laughs> but as they continue this little sexy romp, their video call is infiltrated by their friends. Like all of a sudden their friends' faces populate in the video chat and they all rush to cover up. And in this chat, we have Ken, Adam, and Jess. So Ken is our full archetype that Elise described. He is very funny. Adam is kind of this alpha male type. He's like wearing a polo at home for no reason. Like like they're really just trying to make him seem like a business bro douche. And then Jess, who's kind of your titular blonde bitch. And I'm putting that in quotes because she is very much like Tiffany from When a Stranger Calls, where she doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities whatsoever. Right. She really doesn't. She has done some stuff. They've all done some stuff, as we'll find out. But a couple things in there, I'm like, girlfriend, you like that's a little bit weird. (laughs) You're a little cruel. I don't know if you need to be. That's actually a crime, technically. (laughs) So... But I love when Ken comes in, well, when they all join the chat, you know, quickly Mitch and Blair try to roll out of the screen to get themselves together. But right away, Ken doesn't miss a beat. He's like, what kind of sex were you guys having? (laughs) (laughs) Like, just not even phased. So while they are all poking fun at them, Blair messages Mitch, like, why did you accept that call? Like, why did you do that? And he's like, I didn't. So we have some weird things going on in the digital world of things are happening that people didn't allow. And also people are there that they didn't allow. Yeah, there's some account, like some faceless account. No one's sure who it is. 
Ken makes a joke, guys. He's here to <laughs> to get info on farts and boners. <laughs> Just like cracking fun at the kind of conversations that they're going to have and who this random person could possibly be. So they all decide they're going to log out, see if they can get rid of this anonymous person. They do, but the person is still there. Can't really shake this person. As Mitch and Blair kind of continue to have their side conversation with iMessage, Mitch says something about he took a while to answer Blair's message because he got a message from Laura, as in dead Laura. And at first, Blair gets kind of defensive. She's like, stop messing around. Then she gets a message from Laura through Facebook. They're under the presumption that her account got hacked, that this isn't real. But nonetheless, Blair is disturbed and freaked out. She clears her search history. And again, this mystery person is still in their video chat. So they all decide to hang up again. And Adam says that he is going to call Blair and invite the others in one by one. So again, if if there's a personal invitation, maybe this stranger will leave. And the stranger is behind an avatar. It's just like a basic blue background with like a blue head. Like there isn't a person. All we know is their username, which is Billy247. 227. So Adam and Blair get on a call together. And Adam's being very taunty in his tone toward Blair. He asks her, so were you cybering? Is that something you two do? That's cute. And Blair is deflecting his questions when noting that when the others return into the call, the mystery person is still in there. But again, you could take this as Adam is just riding Ken's coattails and just trying to make fun of them. But you can tell in his tone that it's a little more menacing and a little more mocking. So keep a note of that for later. Anybody who wears a polo, even in 2014, you got to keep an eye on them. (laughs) Sorry, but you do. Like the farther we get away from like 2009, 2010, if you're still wearing a polo, like let's take a minute. If you got to unless you work in like IT (laughs) (laughs) or are you like golfing? Mm -hmm. Well, athletic polos a little bit different, but like cotton polos, we can reconsider y'all. There are other options. If you have to assert your dominance by putting a collar on a t-shirt, I think we're done. Think, I think we've had enough alpha energy. We definitely get that sense from Adam. Like there are those who use polos for good and those who use polos for bad. Lesbians, you can keep polos. Because as a lesbian with polos, I think I use them for good. Yeah, it is different. It is different when a lesbian wears a polo. It is. But I don't wear them in leisure. That's the thing. (laughs) I'm I'm not done with the polos because I don't wear them at home on a Zoom chat with my friend. You know he's walking around the house in like gym shorts and a polo. That's the worst part. (laughs) You know what I bet? I bet he has Sperry's on his feet indoors. He wears sockless. 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 Yes. (laughs) Fucking all making sense. Harry tops of feet all the way out mm. there. Mm-mm. 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 Well, anyway, Adam, you'll all find out why maybe we're not so eager to support Adam. <laughs> so meanwhile, we're back, I guess, third attempt to start this meeting to shake this anonymous account. Doesn't work. Everyone just decides, hey, whatever. It's probably no big deal. Probably some glitch. But Mitch messages Blair and is like, I don't think this extra person is a glitch. 
And he reminds Blair that it's the one year anniversary of Laura's death and sends Blair some kind of article about making sure that you don't answer a message from a dead person. At this point, Blair has already answered the message that quote unquote, Laura has sent her through Facebook asking who's doing this. So she already sent back a reply to see if she could figure out what was going on. So she's already answered the person. She doesn't look at the article too much after that. She goes in and instead tries to memorialize Laura's Facebook account. So she goes in and fills out what needs to be filled out, the dates. And again, really good example of how visual this movie is, right? It's silent pretty much the whole time. When Blair goes to submit the memorializing request, it fails. And when she goes back to look at the text fields, all of the text fields read in all caps, I got her over and over and over and over again. So that is like the first super creepy thing that happens because somebody who passed away or somebody who died a year ago messages you, fine, chalk it up to a hacker, chalk it up to a sick joke. All of a sudden your computer autofills, I got her over and over and over again. That's definitely uncomfortable. It's definitely very unsettling, but one of those blank, you'll miss it, unsettling parts of the movie. You know what I mean? There's a lot where if you're looking at the names of things or in corners, you'll see that there's just like little Easter eggs that kind of make it like, ooh, you don't want to see that or that's uncomfortable, but that's the one that comes back later. And if you have watched that part and you're like, I don't understand the significance of that, it becomes significant later and it's it's good. That's what I will say about this movie. It's not my favorite screen capture movie that we've seen. Host is really kind of hard to beat. But I will say that this movie spares no frame. I think every minute that's in this movie is purposeful. I don't think that there's filler, really. I think that everything that we see and that we perceive is intentional. Even down to her opening and closing Spotify, it comes back later. So I will say that they masterfully managed the time in this, where if your eyes are on the screen the entire time, you're going to appreciate that they were. I agree. That's such a good point. And it moves. I mean, for being almost an hour and a half, it moves quick, quick, quick. And part of that is because of all of those opportunities that are taken advantage of to convey some kind of meaning, some pretty twisted meaning. (laughs) So Blair, she's freaked memorializing Laura's account doesn't work. So she tries to unfriend Laura, but the option isn't even available. She keeps trying to drop the tab, click unfriend. It's not available, not available. She tells Mitch, he's like, just refresh the page and it works, which I appreciated that comedy. Like sometimes things are happening here and you're like, there's a ghost. Sometimes things are happening and you're like, maybe I do just need to refresh my page. Did you turn it on and back off again? (laughs) Yeah. But as soon as she does that, she gets a message from Laura that says, you shouldn't have done that, Blair. Blair messages back, Val, is this you? And we haven't met Val yet, but maybe some kind of friend. Maybe she is behind what's going on. Blair brings her suspicions to the chat. They decide to add Val to the convo. And right before Val enters, everyone talks mad shit about Val. Like, this is a very shitty high schooler moment. (laughs) Ken's like, I don't even really like Val, to be honest, blah, 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 blah. She enters the chat. Everyone's like, hey, Val, what's up? And Ken's like, there you are, you floozy. Like this backhanded, you're low-key a slut. (laughs) But hey, 
And you can tell that Blair's intention bringing Val into this conversation is not to include her in on this conversation. It's to perform a sting operation. They want to be able to say like, are you doing this? There's like six eyes looking at you now like Val, what the fuck is up with you? But yes, after that fakery is done, Val joins the (laughs) chat. But then very soon after, from refreshing her Facebook timeline, Blair sees that Jess, who is our batchy blonde, posted a photo album that has drunk pictures of all of them, but really bad drunk pictures of Val, like Val being shit-faced. Especially in 2014, I think we were still in that era where you weren't allowed to be tagged in any photo of anything. Like it was still in that, like, if you ever want to get a job, alcohol should never be anywhere on your thing ever, especially if you're underage. And yeah, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that still. It's a good practice. But this is in the time where Facebook photo albums were the Snapchat, right? There was no such thing as a temporary post of any degree. So the fact that there is a full on tagged Facebook post of this girl being very shit-faced at a high school party is not a good look. But Jess is defensive. She's like, I did not post that. But Blair even has to step in and be like, well, it came from your account, so can you just delete them? And of course, we know and come to know that Jess did not post these pictures. But she doesn't do a really good job understanding the way that it looks. She's never like freaked out. She just kind of laughs. So I feel like the way that she kind of reacts to this feels a little bit inauthentic. Like, I don't know. Like, it feels like she just is completely unaware of the way it looks. And of course, what it would mean for Val to be tagged in these photos. And they're not just her with like bloodshot eyes and like a bad expression on her face. Like there's a picture of an arrow being drawn up her leg that says fun here. Very like sexually suggestive. Like she's passed out on the ground. I feel for Val in this sense, right? First of all, she's invited into this sting operation, like you said, such a great way to describe it. And now this awful thing is happening. Like, it just doesn't look good. And especially when the insults are just fucking flying between these two. Yeah. Because Val is justifiably pissed and she's like, I don't know if she calls Jess a slut or something, but she like says something along the lines of, come on, you bitch. Like, can you just delete these? Like, why would you do this? And just like, wait, wait, wait. I'm a bitch because you're yeah. a fucking heart. Like it just goes, <laughs> like they just go back and forth. <laughs> this is my favorite line of the movie. Ken just tries to break the fight up that's happening between the two of them because they're just hurling insults at each other. And he's like, girls, girl, 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 girls, I'll come pick you guys up and you can fight outside of a Wendy's or something. Can we just do it this way? Like we don't have to do it here. And it's so funny because it's such high school humor and it's like something you would hear. Just the like, ferocity of these insults flying at each other like i feel like you know when you grow up you're supposed to grow thicker skin Mm -hmm. i feel like mine has just thinned because (laughs) if someone called me like you fucking heart like with that meanness Mm. behind it i'd cry but if i did that in middle school i'd be like bitch that's a wednesday for me like (laughs) like, where did my tolerance for this go i don't know but it was unsettling for me to even listen to it was like why are you being so each other man that's too Mm. much and they're so young i think that's part of it too like when you look back at that time and you remember being so young and then you see young people being so mean to each other but also knowing that being in high school is fucking hard enough without your friends calling you names like that like uh, it's just so cringy to watch partially because it's just like a bad fight (laughs) and also partially because it just sucks to see it's just it's never comfortable and also probably because it's like that's never gonna not be scary 
The idea of being bullied in middle or high school is never not going to be scary because it's vulnerable and it sucks. When you were talking about her being invited onto this Zoom call or whatever platform it is essentially to grill her and see what she's up to, this reminds me of that scene from Mean Girls or that method of attack circa 2004 where like you'd be on a secret three-way call and somebody would bring somebody into the conversation and ask them questions without that person knowing that somebody else is on the other line or in the room with that person. It's the same thing. Like these things happen time and time again. They just keep changing form. And now here we are, it's a Zoom call and everyone's pretending that, hey, we're happy to see you. And it's really some messed up bullying. It's so interesting. It's making me think of the iterations of that, right? Because back in the day, that's what it was. You would three-way call somebody, but then like pretend it was a two-way call. And then in that time it was, oh, well, I'm going to pretend to hang out with her and then get information out of her and then ghost her. But then it like evolved to like screenshots, right? Where like you could just screenshot a conversation and then like send mm -hmm. it out to wherever. And then now it's screen recording. You can screen record and like swipe through Mm -hmm. a conversation or like show somebody somebody's Snapchat story or whatever. And it's the level in which the trickery has evolved is without bounds. And I guess when you're young, you know, you're not thinking, I can't speak for everybody, of course, not everybody thinks like this, but the consequences of your actions, even psychologically speaking, I feel like in my educational psychology classes, for example, it's pretty much a fact that when our brains are more immature, we're not as capable of thinking about consequences. It just flies like that. Not that I'm a psychologist and not that I'm certified in psychology, but here we are. It feels like we're not thinking about consequences, which is interesting considering Laura, hello, a victim of cyberbullying, which we know already. So it seems like maybe if you weren't aware of your actions before that, you would try to be a little bit more cognizant of them. But I mean, if a year goes by and everything's fine, maybe you're getting too comfortable. I don't know. Just sucks. Yeah. So after these <laughs> fighting words, I know. After this ick. <laughs> yeah. After this ick, Jess is finally able to delete the photos only for them to be immediately posted on Adam's account. So obviously we can tell that there is some sort of hacking situation and they're all yelling at each other. Then all of these mean comments start populating the Skype chat. I forget what some of these comments are. I don't know if you wrote any of them down, but just insults at all of them generally. And they all have to hold their hands up to prove that none of them is this outside person. They do a hand check. They do a hand check. Pretty much say like, hey, I'm not typing. I'm not this Billy 227 person. But then Billy 227 reveals themselves. It was me. I posted the photos. Mm. So everyone's like, who the fuck are you? What's going on? We return to that conversation between Mitch and Blair. They both swear it's not them. Val goes in on Billy and threatens them. I'll come beat you up. Where the fuck you at? But then Billy leaks Val's nudes somewhere. Yes. We don't see them, of course, right? We're dealing with underage kids. I guess, does Val reveal that to the chat? Does she say, oh my God, I just got... I think so. I think that's how it works. Somebody gets the pictures and says, oh my God, nice Val, looking good. So that's how we know that those have been leaked. Also, a screenshot is sent somewhere. I think it might be in the Facebook chat that Blair has separately with Laura of Val telling Laura to kill herself. So things are being thrown around now. Like Val is definitely very much in the hot seat and there's a lot of different dirt being 
strewn around <laughs> about her and things that she's done or whatever. Val calls the police. Yeah, she calls the police. Very good for her. Then shortly after that, she's out of the call. She leaves the call and she's gone for a little while. And this is where we get Ken talking about Laura because I think all of them received that same message. It might have been through email, might have been through Facebook. All of them received that message oh, yeah. that confirmed that Val had told Laura Barnes to kill herself. And Ken, in a way, defends Val and goes off about how much Laura sucked, that she was a bully. She deserved all the shit that she got from that video. So again, we're trying to think about that Laura Barnes kill yourself video. We have mm-hmm. not seen all of it, right? Because Blair had only watched the first 30 seconds before Mitch had called and interrupted. So we don't exactly know what the contents of that video is, but we know enough that Laura received a significant amount of backlash and bullying, which led to her ultimate suicide. And we see Mitch silently agreeing with that. Like he's kind of nodding his head and is like, yeah, like Laura was a bitch. And in that time, Blair is looking up Laura Barnes's YouTube account where this fucking sent me the paper YouTube video. Like Mm -hmm. how dated is that? I was like, oh my God, that's a memory I didn't know I had. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. How would you describe that trend for people who didn't live through that? If you've ever seen Love Actually, it was like when that guy stands outside of Kira Knightley's house and has those big poster papers with words written on them that he has her read confessing his love to her, except it's years later, big post papers got smaller. Now we're dealing with postcards and it became a trend where people without verbalizing it usually confess like something really hard that they had to deal with, but where they're at now, how they've grown, how they've reflected. It was definitely a trend that encouraged a lot of people to share difficult things that they encountered. Like You know, typically when you saw one of those videos, it was like, oh man, this is a serious topic. It looks like the video that Laura posted mimicking that style wasn't serious, right? It was an inverse of it. What essentially she was doing with that video is being like, I'm bullied every day. Nobody likes me. And then the last one was like, you sorry, cunts. So (laughs) essentially it's her saying, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me. Like you suck. Her, I guess, trying to play tough, but obviously she was affected by it. So it was her big fuck you to the people that were trying to bully her. I'm surprised they didn't really use that to suggest foul play, because if she had posted that and was really unbothered by what was happening, that could have been an interesting avenue. But I think it was more so her trying to put on this tough face that made everyone think that she was this huge bitch or whatever. But then inside, she was obviously very affected and hurting by what she was going through to the point that she took her own life. So Blair is looking up that video and that leads her to defend Laura to Mitch. Mitch is like, she was always mean. Like, I don't understand why you're defending her. And she's like, you don't know her like I did. She was going through stuff. Mitch asks her to elaborate and she starts to type when we were kids, then erases it. Then she types her uncle, then erases it. And then she finally ends up sending family stuff. It doesn't matter. So this is pointing to us that Blair and Laura Barnes actually had a significant enough friendship where she would know this information about her. Blair tells Mitch, I'm going to hang up. She's done. She's tired. But then Laura Barnes on Facebook messages her and says, if you hang up, all your friends will die. 
So then this puts Blair back on the blaming Mitch train because she's like, this is you. You knew I was going to log out. She just messaged me. But before anything really amounts to this, like, again, they're like eighth conversation about, is this you, Mitch? Val is back in the chat and she looks frozen. We can tell she's in a laundry room. There's a bottle of bleach sitting next to her. It's like very clean, white, like typical laundry room. She looks frozen, but there's a dog barking in the background that has already been established, lives at her house. I think Ken maybe, or somebody else points out that the mirror in her laundry room is all fucked up. I can't really tell what it looks like. It's not broken. Does it just look like it's glitched? It looks pixelated. Yeah. So just unsettling. And she's just there for a while, maybe at least like a, like 30 seconds to a minute, just sort of staring into the camera. No one's really sure what's going on. And then all of a sudden she just falls to the floor. Whatever device she's using to be a part of the chat falls. So Val is now out of frame. Friends, I say loosely, I guess friends or acquaintances or pals to some level are trying to get her attention. They can't. Next thing you know, police are coming into the house. Cause if we remember she had called the police Somebody's in the room with Val. They're trying to hear what code they're calling, what code they're calling. Blair quickly pulls up like a police code. Translate, sheet. Finally, they realize the code that's being called is 1055 and that translates to suicide. So that's what the police officer in the room is calling in on his radio. After that, Val is back out of the frame. And of course, you know, everybody else in the chat is sort of freaking out. Then Blair remembers, oh, you know, like Val, she used to have seizures. Like maybe she just had a seizure. Like she's okay. She's okay. Like I think everyone's pretty shocked and confused. Like no one's really taking this super seriously, like as a suicide. They seem pretty confident that, oh, maybe it was a seizure or something weird just happened. Or maybe is this like a continuation of whatever sick trick has been going on? But then Billy chimes back into the chat. Billy 227, which again is Laura. And she says, you each have dirty little secrets. Hashtag all American rejects. <laughs> I, that song's timeless. I love that song. Mm-hmm. But yes, I don't know if we shared that yet, that in looking up who Billy 227 was, Blair did discover that that is Laura Barnes' Skype account. So we're going to call Billy Laura from here on out because it is Laura Barnes' account. But Laura messages that she wants to play a game. And she ends up sharing a photo and it's like, Blair, here's your secret or something like that. But Ken very quickly is like, no one download it. Like no one retrieve it. No one download it. Of course, Blair does. But we're to presume that no one else actually does. But Blair downloads two images and those images reveal her in bed with Adam. She is asleep on his chest and he is taking a selfie of the two of them with very smug look on his face. So through context clues, we are learning that Blair is indeed not a virgin. She has slept with Adam, who is Mitch's best friend. Yes. So convenient for all of our friends here. Ken, in addition to being extremely hilarious, is also a tech wizard. So he quickly sends everyone a software program that'll be able to, I think, delete. At least get Billy out of the chat. Yeah, somehow get Billy out of the chat. It's clear that Laura or this hacker has somehow been able to get into their files and use their files against them. So Ken is sending the software that's supposed to be able to clear their computers. So this hacker can't get to their stuff. Or maybe it's like a blocker. I wasn't really quite sure what it's doing, but yeah, it's essentially supposed to help them. Laura puts a timer into the chat. We quickly find out that Laura loves putting timers in the chat. We love that increased tension, but everyone manages to make the software work before the timer runs out. So Laura is, I guess, defeated there, but not quite. 
Adam feeling very confident about being able to have everything deleted. He's like, let's go. And he gets up and grabs a gun. And liquor. He gets drunk. Oh, yeah. And then calls the police. So he calls the police. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore. And also, something I noticed, how is it possible that none of these motherfuckers have anybody else in the house with them? That's exactly no what I was siblings, thinking about. No, no parents. Siblings, no parents. No one. And the only reason this is confirmed, at least for Blair and Mitch, is because they're trying to red herring the fuck out of Mitch because Mitch is like, mm-hmm. well, nobody else is home. And she's like, well, how do you know that? And he's like, because your dad is drinking with mine. So like we at least get some explanation there. But yes, the fact that these teens on presumably a school night, whatever, are all just not being bothered by oh, any yeah. other occupants of the house. They do say at one point there's a test the next day. So it is a school night. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Which makes it all the more confusing why there's not a parent home. Look, y'all. Who works in this hospital? No. (laughs) Who works in this hospital? Also, adults, as I'm slowly finding out, they don't frequently exit the household on a weeknight. (laughs) Absolutely fucking not. It takes all my energy to go somewhere else after work these days. All my energy. Maybe we can make a case for a Thursday. Maybe this is a Thursday night. But alas, I'm not convinced. So Adam gets a hold of the police and is having a conversation. Did you write down any of this conversation? No. Because I wasn't paying too much attention to it. But then we realize the operator on the other line says, is everybody safe? And Adam's like, yes. And the operator says, even Ken. And we're like, what? Like, it's very strange. Obviously, a 911 operator is not going to know, you know, who's who. And then we quickly realized that Adam is not on the phone with the police. He is on the phone with, I guess, Laura or somebody bad, like the hacker. I don't know. Yeah, we realized that because the operator gives him an instruction of don't hang up. And that is something that Billy has said in the chat multiple times. Don't hang up. So I guess we do get to hear Billy aside from just seeing what she types. But just then Billy comes back. There's a camera. It's not just an anonymous silhouette avatar now. It's a camera and it appears to be looking through some sort of lattice, maybe like a vent or I don't know, behind some sort of something. No one's really quite sure what it is, but then everyone realizes it's in Ken's room. So Ken gets up, goes over to see what's going on. He inspects, then the camera goes off. And then do you want to talk about this part? (laughs) Yeah. And it's really cool because we see two different perspectives. Because in one perspective behind this lattice or whatever, we are seeing Ken walk toward the camera. But in his camera, his webcam, we are seeing him walk away from the camera. So we don't know exactly what he's seeing. He moves the little gate and is like looking directly into the camera. But he isn't saying anything. He doesn't have much of an expression on his face. Everyone's trying to reach through to him. And he is being unresponsive. But then the call crashes. Everyone's things start buffering again. And then when it resumes, Ken has his hand stuck in a blender. And there is just a bunch of flashy shots of the screen freezing. And then him coming back and then his arm being further down in the blades earlier in the movie he talks about making his like famous ken salsa like that is something that he talks about in the beginning i did not even notice that yeah so this is so morbid this is something that comes back to like haunt them a little bit yeah ken exits the call and now shit just got real right because val you could have written off as a seizure and again no one really gave a shit about her anyway but we saw ken lose a lot of blood 
he wasn't necessarily being attacked. And that's the thing that's so interesting about this Laura Barnes entity is that it very much looks like what Ken is doing is self-inflicted, but he is also not a willing participant of it. So he is being compelled to do this to himself. But Adam then starts hearing commotion in his house. He goes searching. He is scared. His lights are going in and out. He hears knocking. And yeah, shit just starts unraveling from here. Just when you think Adam is next on the chopping block, Laura proposes to play a rousing game of Never Have I Ever. And in case you didn't know what that means, Jess explains to us, you put five fingers up. If you did do something, you put a finger down. And Laura lets us know that whoever loses or puts all their fingers down first dies. And this is confirmed to at least be Laura motivated because everyone else is like, who is this person? Who is this person? But right before they explain the rules to this, the video of Laura Barnes Kill Yourself starts spamming everyone's desktop. (gasps) Ah, yes. And the video continues to play on and on and on. Like, it looks like the screen is getting rickrolled for a second. (laughs) Yeah. I have no other way to describe it otherwise mm-hmm. that they're getting rickrolled by this Laura Barnes kill yourself video. But as we watch the video unfold, we see, you know, in the beginning of the night, Laura is being confrontational and she's like threatening to fight people. And then a little later in the night, she is very drunk and hanging over some guy and is like sleeping in the middle of a high school outdoor party. And then the last part of the video we see is someone filming Laura's body And it reveals that she has either shit herself or bled through her shorts. I read both in reviews. It was definitely shit. Either way, she soiled herself while passed out at a party and someone filmed her and posted this Laura Barnes Kill Yourself video online. And this was the video that kind of sparked this entire thing. And they all claim they have nothing to do with it. And as they're explaining these games, Blair types out, it wasn't us then deletes it and instead writes, we didn't mean it. Well, at this point, she has returned to that article mentioned earlier about do not answer messages from the dead. And she finds a bit towards the bottom of the article that says to remedy the situation, apologize or acknowledge wrongdoing, something like that. So I think that that article is what encourages her to change her rhetoric a little bit. Although, you know, she's not really acknowledging anything or confessing anything. She's just trying to, I guess, assume some responsibility, hoping that that would satisfy Laura's ghost. But in response to that, Laura spams all of them with images of all of them telling Laura Barnes to kill herself via comments on the YouTube video. And we also find out a bunch of tea throughout this Never Have I Ever game, right? Not only about people in relation to Laura, but this friend group in relation to this friend group. So basically, we find out that Jess started an eating disorder rumor about Blair that Blair crashed Jess's mom's car in a drunk driving accident, that Mitch kissed Laura before her death, but Blair's like, whatever, that's fine. Mitch sold out Adam for selling weed. This is really where it starts getting bad because it's been established Adam and Mitch are best friends. Adam does not take this confession lightly. And of course, each time a question is asked, Laura puts a timer in the chat. And sometimes the timer set at 30 seconds. Sometimes it's set at 50 or 40 seconds. Like she almost seems to anticipate the severity of her questions. Like they continue to increase, to increase, to increase. Jess stole $800 from Adam. (laughs) What the fuck? 
I guess Adam comes for money, but like, how do you just not notice $800 is missing? I don't know. Adam, I guess in a separate chat with Laura, offered to trade Jess's life for his. So there's some other bargaining going on in other Facebook chats. And then Adam, I guess, upset and frustrated, he starts leading the game. So Laura's ghost stops even controlling what's going on. And Adam brings up the fact that he and Blair had sex. Yeah. And prior to this, Mitch and Adam are fighting a lot, obviously, because Mitch sold Adam out. They're insulting each other. And every time we see Blair trying to de-escalate Mitch, both on the Zoom chat or whatever chat and in iMessages, like, Laura Barnes wants us to fight. Don't fight with him. It's not his fault, blah, blah, blah. And we're wondering, like, why is she, like, de-escalating him so much? And it's because Adam says, never have I ever had sex. Mitch is under the presumption that his girlfriend's a virgin and she's not. So this reveal obviously hurts Mitch's pride very, very, very much. This is one of those moments where that Spotify comes up again. All of a sudden, the song How You Lie, Lie, Lie by Connie Conway starts playing on Blair's computer just randomly. Like, not that she went and turned it on, but I guess Laura is enjoying herself and cueing music to sort of taunt Blair in this confrontation. The game continues. Mitch, very upset. He's very, very frustrated, but I guess they've calmed down enough to continue the game. We find out that Adam roofied a girl at their school named Ashley. Super shit. We also find out that Adam, according to Laura, forced Ashley to get an abortion. So we are in the weeds. Everyone's dirty, dirty, dirty secrets. Some very evil secrets coming to the surface now. Mitch also gets very slut shamey right here. Oh, yeah. Very slut shamey. And I mean, the whole thing's been slut shamey, like even from when Val entered the chat, but it continues. Yeah, because Blair is trying to apologize, like, baby, don't fight with him. It's okay. And Mitch goes, I don't want to hear from you, slut. And it's like, and then he's like, how many guys then? How many guys? If you fucked him, you fucked everybody. How many guys? Like, it is so fucked up. It's gross. This is tough because Mitch probably is, you know, at this point, seems like an all right character. Like, we really don't see him doing anything overtly disrespectful. But in his anger, like, we definitely see a not so fabulous side of Mitch. And we see immaturity and we see cruelty in the way that he treats Blair. But she calms him down a little bit, right? Because she says it only lasted like a second, kind of trying to dis Adam to alleviate the situation. But then Laura cues the video to play in the chat and we see that it didn't just last a second. So like, even though Blair's trying to alleviate the situation, we catch her in another lie where she underplayed the situation. But she does say that her and Adam were drunk. Before this, Mitch finally gets Blair to admit that after this event that she originally swore was an isolated event because the two were drinking, that they met up one more time to see if there was anything real there. So like... Again, Blair keeps holding back until she absolutely can't hold back. And then eventually the truth is revealed. And even at that point, it's like, well, is that even the truth? Like, I don't know. She's already withheld the full truth so many times. I don't know. But yes, then the printer happens. Essentially, both Adam and Blair's printers go off simultaneously. And they both get these notes that they don't show the camera and they don't tell anybody what they said, even to everyone's protests. 
So they're both looking scared. They don't want to say what the message they receive is. Yes, printer goes off. But of course, this doesn't look good because Mitch is very sensitive. Already just found out about something that was a secret that Adam and Blair shared. Now they each have a piece of paper that they can't tell what it says. And he is insisting, insisting, insisting that they say what was printed on those papers. He is threatening to log out, which we know is bad news. And he's like, if you don't show me what's on these papers, I'm going to log out. I'm going to log out. Of course, there's crying, there's yelling. And Blair finally flashes her printed paper at the camera. And it says, if you show this on the camera, Adam dies. And Adam's gun in his hand turns around and shoots him in the face. Which I don't understand. Why couldn't she just say, if I show this paper, something awful is going to happen? Like, I feel like they could have been a little bit more descriptive with that. But I did like the visual effect because when Adam's camera drops, it reveals that his paper said, if you reveal this, Blair will die. So they were caught trying to save each other, which again, Mm -hmm. fuels Mitch's insecurity even more because Mitch wasn't going to give Blair up, but Blair gave Mitch up. So it's... Or Adam wasn't going to. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so sorry. Too many names. Too many. And that is a moment too. Like we find out mad shit about Adam, right? with the roofie, et cetera, but he didn't give her up. You're right. So it's like, oh, you do feel for him. They do add some comic relief here that I love. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because all of them are at this point sobbing. So the only people left in this chat at this point are Jess, Mitch, and Blair, but they are all silently crying while on Blair's desktop, a advertisement for a porn website pops up. (laughs) Which may have suggested that the thing that Ken sent maybe wasn't the best (laughs) antivirus protection because like the name was called Trojan Destroyer, which also just Mm. sounds very sexual to me. I don't I don't know. Well, there's a picture of Blair like photoshopped onto the body. It is her. Like, I didn't Mm -hmm. think about that. Definitely Laura, like rubbing it in her face. What just happened? Yeah. Like I have revenge porn on you, bitch, or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm hmm. But also I wrote down, because this whole confrontation between this love triangle goes on for a little bit. And the whole time, like, Jess is just crying. And I'm like, poor Jess, like, this is not her shit right now. (laughs) Like, she's really just kind of fourth wheeling this. So the game continues. And the next question is, never have I ever defaced Laura Barnes's grave. And based on context clues, we know that it's Jess. And I believe this is Jess's last finger. Oh, I didn't even notice it's her last finger. I'm pretty sure it's her last finger. She lost a lot at the beginning. Like she was losing pretty early on. And even if it's not, her camera shuts off. And there's sounds of her house getting broken into. I don't even know that her camera shuts off because this is where Blair goes on chat roulette right? Yeah, you're right. Maybe it doesn't shut off. Maybe we just can't see the Skype screen anymore because it's covered by other tabs. And I think it's because Blair is like, okay, like I'm going to go get help. This might be a plot hole. I don't understand why Blair is able to go on chat roulette to try to get somebody to dial 911 for her, but why she can't dial 911 on her phone. Because I think of what happened with Adam. He called 911 and it didn't go through. Oh, so we think that the phones are hacked too. Okay. 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 She's like chat roulette. Let's see. And of course she goes through a whole cast of people before she finally finds some really fucking nice lesbian, 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 definitely like a horticulturist, like so wonderful who calls the police for Blair and gives them Jess's address. 
They are five minutes away mm-hmm. from Jess's address. I also liked during the chat roulette session that there was a lot of her having to end calls of not necessarily dicks on the screen, but you could tell it was like horny guys just trying to like see yeah. something. And then also mm-hmm. just random people being like, ASL, ASL, ASL. And if you've ever been <laughs> on like any form of chat roulette, like that's all you fucking see. So it was very funny. At this point, Jess's camera glitches. And this is probably one of the most visceral deaths we have in the scene. And this is coming after the hand salsa blender. Okay. So this is... Well, we see more of this one. And then a meme is made out of it. Yeah. So essentially, Jess's camera glitches. When it glitches back, we see that there is a hair straightener shoved down her throat in a very sexual manner. Yes. A very slut shamey way to murder somebody because it is meant to be phallic. And her tongue is out. She's like drooling at the sides of her mouth. So again, it's meant to look a very certain way and it succeeds in doing that. And by the way, this is on. This is a yes, hot yes. curling iron, which is key here. You know, we're not just choking. We are choking and the inside of our mouth and throat is being scorched off. Then like the meme is sent saying, looks like she finally learned how to shut the fuck up. Again, lots of things to unpack here. This is, I think, the hardest death that we've talked about on this podcast. You think? For me, yes. And I think part of it has to do with the sound effects of the sizzling. It's graphic and it's just not anything I would have ever thought I would encounter (laughs) in a movie. You know, like we've seen gunshots, we've seen stabs in various places, right? Those are some tried and true methods to kill somebody, but a hot curling iron shoved down somebody's throat and then cherry on top with the me made of it. It's just not something I thought I was going to see. I think it might win for the most mean-spirited for me, but I don't know if it's like the worst, only because Mm -hmm. Jess is not likable. I know, yeah. That's something that I think saves me. Like, If this was like a character that we got to know really well and had a lot of redeeming qualities, it would be, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to take a break from horror for a while. But because of that, I think I could manage it. And also, glitching in this movie, if you are, first of all, if you're still here and squeamish, (laughs) good for you, (laughs) because there are some squeamish people that listen. But because of the glitching in and out, it is manageable, especially with the hand in the blender. Now, does this death best the Ricky death from Better Watch Out? Because that was the most upsetting death to record that you really got viscerally affected by. That's such a good point because I really liked Ricky. Oh, that is so hard. That is so hard. Oh, I don't know if it can top that because Ricky was likable. I liked Ricky a lot and his death sucked and it was pretty graphic. Let us know if you want us to do an episode talking about the gnarliest kills we've covered so far on the podcast. Maybe take a little bit of a note from our favorite horror content creators, Dead Meat, doing a bit of a kill count, but instead of like a kill ranking, maybe. I love that. I love that. It would just be me the whole time being like, "Mm, that was so sad. (laughs) Or like, what about like the best kill in every movie? Like there doesn't necessarily need to be like a ranking of them devastating or we could do that. It doesn't matter. We might be able to do that. Or like the best cheating of death. That might be good. Oh, yeah. So Jess leaves. Oh, yes. Jess is out. She's dead. She's done. We're down to Blair and Mitch. Lights go out at Blair and Mitch's house just like they had at Adams. So very creepy. Never a good sign. 
There is kind of a comedic relief moment when an alarm goes off on Blair's computer for a test that's the next day, um, reminding her to study. And Blair and Mitch kind of laugh because originally they're so freaked out by this sound, but then they laugh again, temporary relief. Then there is one final Never Have I Ever. Is it Never Have I Ever filmed Laura and posted it on the internet? It's Never Have I Ever posted the video of Drunk Laura. Yes. So we are finally kind of at this very climactic Never Have I Ever prompt. Both of these characters are like, neither of us did that. No, Laura, that wasn't us. That wasn't us. Meanwhile, Laura is messaging Blair in their Facebook chat that they've kind of had going on throughout this whole thing and is saying, I know it wasn't you, like you would never do that. So then after some time, and this is another prompt that Laura gave them like 50 seconds to figure out, Blair says it was Mitch. And right away, Mitch, with the knife that he had on his desk previously in the movie, he stabs himself in the eye and he's dead. Yes, Blair's the only one left. This is where Blair really tries to go into like recon mode. She opens up their friendship on Facebook and starts scrolling through it, like sharing her screen, being like, we were sisters. Look at us. I loved you. And again, you're seeing like childhood photos. You're seeing like awkward face photos. So you could tell that Laura and Blair really did have a friendship. She's like, I'm so sorry we drifted apart. But then that video pops up again, the drunk Laura video, and we get past the point where we saw Laura lying on the ground. The camera turns around and reveals that it was Blair who had taken the video. Isn't this when she says, I got her? Yeah, she says, I got her. And then that video or like the ending of that video is posted to Blair's Facebook account. And comments start flooding in about how she's horrible and she sucks and, you know, you killed her, you killed her. Because my guess is that video was posted with Blair edited out because Mitch posted it. So Mitch is not going to put Mm. his girlfriend in an incriminating situation. So they all had a hand in it where Val and Jess and Ken and Adam had told Laura to kill herself. Blair took the video, Mitch posted the video. So they all had varying degrees of involvement. You know, Blair is kind of taking all of this in and realizing the consequences of her actions when, for the first time, we see a point of view that is not from the computer screen or a webcam. We see two demon hands closing the laptop and a very ghostly, zombified looking Laura Barnes lunges at the camera. And that's the movie. I couldn't help but wondering if Blair was the one that posted the video and she still tried to save herself by throwing Mitch under the bus. The thing with that for me is that Blair seems to be the only one that has a level of remorse. And you could tell based on her like looking back fondly at the friendship, even like looking at the video of her killing herself in the beginning, that she feels a certain way about it. She feels Mm -hmm. a level of guilt. To me, it makes me think that Blair filmed Laura Barnes almost with the intention that Jess had when she took the pictures of Val, if they were friends, you know, it's just like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. And like her posting that photo or taking that video, they thought it was going to be a similar effect to Val just being pissed off or something Mm. like that. But because Mitch seemed to genuinely dislike her, I think that Mm. was like his way of being like, well, this is our revenge then. Like, if you're going to act like a bitch toward us, 
this is it. But I don't know that Blair would have gone that far, but I thought about that too. I wasn't sure, mm-hmm. but I think it makes more sense because if Blair had lied, I don't think Mitch would have died. I think he would have died, but that's a good point. That is a good point. I mean, she saves him once when she shows the printout that basically is Adam's death sentence. But then it's always the question, you know, do you love somebody more than you love yourself? Like if you've already been this set on self-preservation, you know, are you going to take it to the end? I don't know. It is definitely ambiguous though. It's definitely ambiguous. I do think we needed something to hate Mitch for though, because at that point, every other character had given us a reason. Like, you know, Ken's like, she deserved what was coming to her. And then like Jess and Val were obviously very cruel and Adam was mean and all that, (laughs) you know, helped Blair cheat and is Adam and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I think Mitch needed something to make him culpable Mm -hmm. because otherwise he wouldn't have been culpable at all. And he would have just been this like boyfriend who got cheated on and then died for his girlfriend. But I think Mm -hmm. him posting the video and him lasting as long as he did, if that was the case, they died in varying degrees of involvement in what happened, I guess. Right. Final thoughts. I think this movie succeeds in pioneering a format more than it succeeds Mm -hmm. in being a good horror movie. You know, I think this movie ushered in such a original way to experience content and it obviously in such a way to film content and broke into a level of digital citizenship, digital experiences that movies haven't been able to touch in a way. I think movies are now trying to like break into that digital sphere, knowing that you can't just send hot teens to a cabin in the woods anymore because that's not what they're doing. That's not where they live their lives. You know what I mean? Like they Mm -hmm. they exist in spaces that aren't physical. So I think in terms of being a pioneer of this kind of content. You know, I'm so glad that you saw Host first, but like whenever I think of a movie like this, like when I think about Cam, when I think about Host, I'm like, oh, it's like unfriended and people know Mm. what I'm talking about if you know horror, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And that's the thing. I'm not to say that there isn't, but I don't even think in like regular mainstream film, there is a movie that is filmed like that, that isn't a horror movie that can be like a landmark of like, oh, it's like that. Exactly. It's like LOLJK. There's no pioneer movie. I'll just write a movie called LLJK and make it a rom-com that's films like this. Is that the name of like a young adult fiction book? Like the one that's written in like TTYL. TTYL. But you know what I mean? Where it's like this movie, I think just challenged other movies to go there. And again, I think it's a pioneer of its time, but it laid a groundwork to allow something like Host, like Unfriended walked so Host could run. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I agree. And honestly, aside from all of the glitching, the glitching for me was really frustrating. And I never had a Skype. So like, I don't know if that was accurate, even though it was a lot and like dense as far as switching screens and notifications popping up. I still thought it worked and was done really well. This is one of those movies that I feel like after talking about it, I like it more. (laughs) That's usually how it goes. The only thing that is so disappointing about it is like even trying to call Blair a final girl presumes she has redeeming qualities about her. The characters in this movie, none of them are redeemable. I agree. That's the only thing that sucks about it is because you do have this unapologetic, bullying, bitchy, just legion of people that like, Mm -hmm. you can't even say it was an accident or like they didn't mean it or like kids make mistakes. Like there's no way to justify what it was. And the fact that the only way for Laura Barnes to get justice 
is to avenge herself beyond the grave Mm -hmm. and still have to like acknowledge the existence of her most embarrassing moment living forever on the internet and people Mm -hmm. being happy that she's dead. Like just that, that idea, despite what anyone ever does in the life, no one deserves to be driven to a point where they feel as though they need to take their own life. I don't think that's controversial to say. It's just strange that like these women, there's just no sense of community between any of them. They all just seem like they're just individuals that are there to create foils for each other. I agree. It's very, I mean, it's, it's catty. It's catty. And we don't really see our women supporting women. And we don't even really see our men supporting women either, right? Ken's a shit talker. We don't even see our men supporting our men. Like it does feel very individualistic. Everyone's out to get each other. It's very cutthroat. It's like, why are you people friends? Like what connects right. you? I mean, like, high no school, one likes man. each other. Yeah. And I mean, obviously this is social commentary on cyberbullying, which I also think is cool that we have this really unique pioneering format to address an issue that is very much rooted in the birth of the internet and social media. So that is really great how topically and format wise, we have a really great union. One of the critiques I read, Mark Dusick wrote that as like the characters excluding Lara's ghost are self-absorbed, unsympathetic bores, and that the choice to primarily display video chats and instant messages is not very interesting, which I disagree with that part. I liked that part. But he says, as for the message about the dangers of cyberbullying, it is derived in a partially overblown attempt to scare people straight about that despicable trend, but might just make people associate bullying with a hollow, tedious endeavor that lacks any sophistication. There's a danger in assuming that bullying only exists in extremes which I can see that being kind of problematic. Like bullying is often very nuanced, cyberbullying including, but he says, but that could work too. And he gives the video or the movie one out of five stars. And the thing about that is Dusik, he's definitely like not a millennial. So like do people who grew up in this realm disagree? Do they see more value in this film because they might've experienced these things firsthand? And not to say that he hasn't experienced things. Maybe as a published writer, he's experienced his own cyberbullying, right? There are trolls everywhere now. All generations experience cyberbullying. But when you're young, it's so easy to take it so personally. It feels so permanent. You know, us being the age that we are is so unique in that sense, because I think we are of a very specific generation that grew up with the choice to develop a digital identity and a little bit of an expectation to develop a digital identity, but not close to the expectation that a teenager in 2014 would feel to create, maintain and envelop their digital identity with the digital identity of another person. I think about this all the time, even how like we scan people or we screen people in our lives based on how they present themselves on like social media, or you can meet somebody in person and then you look at their Instagram and you're like, oh, wait, they're actually weird because of how they participate in digital citizenship. Like it's just so strange, but it's such a part of a culture that's ingrained even to the point where it's infiltrated a level of professionalism where you can't get a decent job without having an up-to-date LinkedIn profile at this point. Like the idea of digital literacy is something that is almost taken for granted in older generations. If they were actual teenagers filming that movie, that level of nuance is there. Like you even said the cyberbullying nuance thing. It makes me compare Val 
entering the chat to the Laura Barnes situation, it can exist in extremes. And that's not to say that one is worse or better than the other, but obviously the impact can be detrimental in one case to the next. It depends. I mean, I can't think of another movie that's about cyberbullying. Like it's an unexplored realm. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's something that horror likes to do. Immediately it makes me think of Hellraiser and BDSM. Horror likes yeah. to take these little topics and be like, oh, let's exploit it. Or like, let's let's make it scarier than it actually is to the mainstream, right? Like, There's fear in the unknown. Yeah. There's fear in the unknown. So something that this made me think of when I was thinking about supernatural occurrences in a digital realm, do you remember Dear David on Twitter? I have no familiarity with this now. Okay. So Dear David is something I remember going on around 2017, where there was a fellow who started tweeting about weird shit happening in his apartment. It got a huge following and became this whole saga where this guy would tweet about a haunting in his apartment. So this is from Here's Every Creepy Tweet Adam Ellis Has Posted About Dear David by Lucia Peters. So Dear David is a Twitter story that began in 2017 and lasted through 2018, detailing writer and illustrator Adam Ellis's experience with his supposedly haunted apartment, complete with photos, videos, sound recordings, descriptions of visits from a boy named David. Deadline reported in November of 2021 that this story is going to be made into a movie, (laughs) which I just found. And that actual article writes, the film will be directed by John McPhail. And he made his debut on 2017's zombie horror comedy, Anna and the Apocalypse, and screenplays by Mike Van Wace. This is from my most recent research. It sounds like it's shooting is imminent and final cast is being locked in now. So very like pre-production, but moves are being made to make this Dear David thing into a movie. So that might also be something to look forward to if you like movies like Host and Unfriended that bring in this whole digital situation because Twitter was a huge way that this information was brought to the public. Now I tried to find, is this a true story or is this going to be like a um, Amityville horror situation where years later, you know, it comes out that this was just not real, but I couldn't find anything that said it wasn't real. And I do remember there were certain things on Twitter that I was too afraid to watch or listen to because (laughs) I mean, you were just immersed in this like whole world and you can like on this article, you can go through and reread all of the tweets and see how things unfolded. And it is really very creepy. And I remember experiencing part of it real time and deciding I had to remove myself because it was freaking me the fuck out. It's giving me like Slender Man vibes. <laughs> yeah. Like, not necessarily that it's the same, but the fact that like Slender Man started as a creepypasta that like was all over Tumblr. And then there were those actual murders that those like 12 year olds mm. did. Well, it wasn't a murder. They like beat this one girl within an inch of her life and she miraculously survived, but <sighs> they were like entranced by this like Slender Man lore and they made a really shitty movie about it and multiple documentaries about it. But yeah, just the idea that these things can like have a life on the internet and then they find a life later in film and it's nuts. And yeah, I'm excited to hear how that goes. And on a side note, I'd be so interested to hear how you like Anna and the Apocalypse because I hated Anna and the Apocalypse, but it's a horror comedy musical. Oh my goodness. 
Talk about multi-genre. The musical campness of it took away my enjoyment of it, but I know people who swear by it. So I'd be really interested to see how you like it. That makes me interested in how this Dear David movie is going to I know. come into fruition if, if it might have that comedic edge. Mm-hmm. I could see it going either way, honestly. Wow. Okay, great. I feel great. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel great about this, but also what we're doing in the next coming weeks. Yeah. So Shay had a brain baby based on some inspiration from, again, our favorite dead meat. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to introduce it a little bit or should we just leave it as a surprise? All I'll say is the next two episodes that we have coming out are not going to be movie reviews. They're not going to be film reviews. They're not going to be discussions, but they are kind of going to be a game that we play with characters from all of the movies we've covered so far. excluding our women's fears in history because we cover like 50 films and oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in like 60 second increments in those episodes. But like every film episode that we have, maybe just go back and review like who the hero and who the villain is because it's mm-hmm. going to inform how much you enjoy our discussions over the next couple episodes. But we're really excited about them. It's March Madness themed. That's all the hints I'll give because I'm just really excited to hear how it turns out because we have not recorded them yet. But the next two episodes we have coming out are really going to be a great encapsulation of all the awesome movies that we've covered so far in a game format. So if you're ready for that, catch us in March because that's when those episodes will be coming out. Mm -hmm. Let's fucking go. And you know, we like to try new things, but if you have any recommendations or suggestions for anything, including films you want us to cover once we get back on that wagon, absolutely email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com and or follow us on Instagram, also at thehorrorspodcast. We post updates there. So again, when we release episodes, we'll let you know, make a post, add some content, maybe make some polls every once in a while. So if you want to be in the know about what's up, definitely follow us on Instagram. Yeah. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.